There's a challenge facing most copywriters that many of us struggle to deal with, and that is how do I stand out from the mass of other copywriters and content writers who offer sales pages, emails, case studies, and all of the other things that we help our clients with. And for the most part, any copywriter can probably figure out how to do a decent job writing just about any project deliverable. And yes, I know I'm probably oversimplifying here to make the point, but our guest on today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is copywriter and think tank member, Corey Myers. And as we talked with Corey, she shared a ton of details about her business. Perhaps most importantly, she talked about showing up not just as a copywriter, but as a thought partner for your clients. It's an approach that has helped her stay fully booked over the last year, while many other copywriters have struggled to find clients. And it's an approach that a lot of us could use in our own businesses. But before we jump into the interview, this episode is sponsored by the Copywriter Think Tank, which is our mastermind for copywriters and marketers who want to figure out the next thing in their business that could be new revenue streams, or it could be a new idea or a podcast or so many different ideas. Um, I'm not even going to promote it right now because Corey talks about it with us in this conversation. So you'll get to hear from her what her experience was like in the Think Tank and you can also hear the results of what she's been able to do while being in the think tank. And so I think that's truly the best promo for the mastermind. Uh, we also had a chance to talk about the retreats. I know Corey got a lot out of our most recent retreat in New Orleans. And I'm just going to mention that we do have think tank retreats coming up in June. We have a virtual retreat. And then in September, we're traveling to London for an in-person retreat because Similar to Corey, we believe that the power in business growth and all types of growth, um, it all happens when you're together in person at these types of retreats. So if you have any interest in our think tank and becoming a new member, you can visit copywriterthinktank.com. Okay, let's kick off our episode with Corey. Well, in... Um... What was it January of 2019? I was pregnant and teaching full time and wrote on a little, it wasn't a fancy vision board. It was just a real basic notepad of my goals for 2019. And it was to explore other career opportunities. And I had a couple of goals within that to reach out to people who had explored other careers outside of teaching. And then by the time I went back to work after maternity leave, I was also a copywriter. So that's kind of how I got into it was deciding to explore it. And then six months later, I was doing it. Yeah, that's really concise. Uh, so let's let's talk about what you were teaching and why you felt the need to maybe move on. Because, And I know you were doing more than teaching. You were like doing counseling. You were there for kit, like doing more than just showing up as a teacher. So tell us about that experience. Yeah, I was a high school English teacher for 15 years and a department chair and help lead programs. And so much of the programs that so many of the programs that I led were about helping students develop their passion and explore what they were good at outside of what everyone said they should do. And I just remember one day standing there for so long, teaching had been that passion for me. And then we were reading The Alchemist by uh, Paulo Coelho. And I was, you know, talking them through, you know, what it feels like to love what you do. And I had this moment where I realized I didn't love this as much as I used to. And so that was a real starter, starting point for me to explore 
what else it could be. I've always wanted to write. I just didn't know that I could do that outside of writing a book that gets published. Um, so that was the starting point. And then, you know, just sort of the seed that was planted. And then obviously I loved what I did helping students, supporting them with their very big uh, challenges, but it just became a little bit too much, um, to be honest. Uh, it's a lot to carry, especially at that time I was also pregnant. And so you're caring for your own kids as well as uh, everyone else's needs. And so I wanted something, honestly, that was a little bit less emotionally taxing um, because I have a big heart and I can't separate. I just, I couldn't drive home and leave my students' needs at home. So needed something different. That's a little bit of what started that. Let's explore something else. What happens when you realize, you know, you don't love something anymore and you have that light bulb moment, which I think is precious in many ways, because some people just don't have that moment at all, uh, or it takes too long to get that moment. So what happens after you have that moment? What do you do? What, what do you put into play? Yeah, it's definitely scary, especially if you, I mean, I, I started teaching when I was 22. I hadn't done anything else career-wise. And so it's scary. And then um, sometimes it feels too self-indulgent, especially if you're going to change careers when you're pretty deep into it. And so what it feels like once you make that decision is you do kind of have to decide, is this, I think a lot of times, particularly in the helping profession, we hold ourselves back from pursuing something that we are passionate about because we feel called, we feel a, a level of responsibility to help people. And that's really noble, but it's also not sustainable if you know deep inside that there's something else. And so it really was just sort of being brave enough to keep going and telling the right people. I saw, you know, talked to my therapist at the time. Um, and you, I really had to get comfortable with the idea myself first um, because I knew that it would not be easy to um, for everybody else with that change. So I think that's the biggest step is making sure that you are super confident in why you're wanting to make a change and um, okay that it's for you. Okay, so you know you're make, you're, you want to make this change. You wrote it down on a notepad, so you've kind of got the goal out there. Um, but you didn't write, I'm going to be a copywriter. You said explore other options. What other options were you thinking about? Like where did your brain go as you started that exploratory you know, process? Yeah, well, having been in education, I knew kind of the pathways that I had, you know, the options I had there. So within that, I had two people that I wanted to meet with, one who um, was a copywriter and one who was in administration moving into education consulting. And so those are kind of my ideas I wanted to. I really didn't know what copywriting was outside of what my friend was doing. Um, and so the other options were, um, what else can I do as, you know, an educational leader? So that looked like, you know, working at the district office level or working for a consulting agency outside of it. But that still felt that didn't feel like it was going to tap the creative energy that I wanted because as much as I wanted out of the classroom, I loved this, the creativity that I got to have with the students. And sometimes if you stay in education, you lose, I mean, you, you get out of the classroom, but you lose some of the best parts of it. So it just- I have a friend who did that exact process. Like he went from the classroom to the district level. He hated it. He even like more money and all of that. And immediate, like the next year he was back in a classroom. He's like, nope. I wasn't doing it for any of the bureaucracy. I was doing it for the kids. So yeah, that rings true as you talk about that process. Yeah. And then honestly, just like the, 
you know, at that time, another big factor for me as a mom of young kids was the time factor. And as soon as you get into administration, your time just doubles and triples. And so even though the salary technically increases, your working hours are just exponentially larger. So um, that was just not what I wanted for this season. How do you distinguish between a calling and then a selfish, you know, self-interest? Like, how do you navigate between the two of them? Because I think it can be really confusing at times, especially for people who are called to help other people. At least it feels confusing for me. It's like, well, is this something I really want to do? Or is this something I feel like I have to do? And how do you know? It seems like you figured it out pretty well. Yeah, I think it really has to do with the season of life you're in. So yes, teaching was my calling for a long time. But once I started having, you know, I had my first son and my second son, I just, my, my priorities shifted. And so I think you really have to, whether you have kids or you're a caretaker or you just are realizing stuff about yourself, you might need more attention. And I think that is the calling. So whatever feels aligned to you, it can't just always be, I mean, yes, your, your purpose may be to do this thing to help other people. But if at the end of the day, your well-being is being sacrificed, then that's not, that's not a true calling. I mean, that's just not sustainable. And so that's to me where it comes from is what season are you in at that point in your life? And I, I mean, I think that's true in my business right now. It's not just like I do this for these people. It really is about the season of life I'm in. And that determines how I run my business because I mean, obviously it's part of why I got into freelancing, but um, I think just generally that process is more sustainable than saying stake in the ground. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life because this is my one true calling. Seems to me there's a lot of teachers who go on in their careers to become copywriters. We've definitely talked to a few of them on the podcast. So Corey, as you think about the skills that you had and used as a teacher, how do those translate to what you do with copywriting? So I know you're not necessarily counseling 15 year olds, but you're counseling clients. Like I can see some lines, but tell me where you see the lines are. Yeah. You know, in, I always said that in, um, as a, as a teacher, you see all the big news stories that you see on, you know, that, you know, people are arguing about talking about you experience in the classroom, just in one with, you know, one group of 40 students. There's so many different issues that kids are dealing with that are very, very real. And so you quickly learn that you can't just plow your way, obviously, through a lesson plan and assume that they're going to fall in line. And I think it's that mindset that everyone is carrying so much through the door. And so, yes, my client presents this way, but really there's so much there's something else going on. They're not responding to an email. I, I understand there's so much more going on. Or if they are more tense in an email, I understand that there's probably more than just me. So on a like on the like soft skills side, it's just understanding um, what it means to be human. And I think that has helped. Um, I think time management has been a big factor for me um, because you as a teacher, at least at the high school level, you have, you know, one 60 minute prep period to do everything. And uh, so you learn to just get really quick. So that has definitely helped me on a practical level is be efficient with my workflow. Do you have time management advice for us, especially if we do not have a teaching experience, we have not worked within those parameters and we struggle with it? What have you done really well that has helped you? You know, I don't have like an app that I'm like going to live and die by um, or a particular technique. It's just constantly every day identifying the priorities for that day and being realistic about what can get done. So I just have always 
from my, like probably my second or third year teacher had a little sticky note of the things that have to get done in order of priority. And just I'm pretty good about thinking about that throughout the day. And that's a very simple technique, but just keeping that top of mind because it's very easy to get distracted by the 10 other things we want to do or that we need to get done that week. So it generally just speaking is each day I'm prioritizing the order of importance, obviously starting with client work, um, which I'm trying to also include my own client work, my own business as a client. Yeah, is using that very simple priority approach. So while we're talking about this, I know you've done a lot of thinking about parents, uh, how to parent while running a business, especially with small kids, but I think you've gone beyond just small kids. Tell us about some of your thoughts around this. I know you're even thinking about maybe a podcast in the future on this topic. So I'm going to, by throwing that into the world, I'm going to make sure that it actually happens. But okay, yeah, tell us, tell us about how parents make it work from your side of the fence. Like, how do you do it? And how do you see other people doing it? Um, well, it is very, kind of what I mentioned earlier, very relative to that season. So, you know, this last year we had um, another baby and a baby season changes everything. And there's such a distinct difference between, you know, having a three month old and having a 15 month old. And it seems like it shouldn't be that big of a difference, but it's, it's pretty huge. And so I think the first is being, I think I always have to be very patient with myself because I'm always, I want to be 10 steps ahead of where I am. And I think I can, like my energy can, but I think I used to be able to be more, get more done. Um, but you just, some, when you're in a young kid season, there's just a lot that's outside of your control. The kids are up all night or they are dealing with their third sickness of the season. And so um, I think it's, you know, recognizing your own uh, limitations <laughs> And then that really just forces your priorities. So, which is not easy to do. <laughs> so I think maybe it's an ego thing also. Um, that's how moms make it work is they have to kind of figure out when what they want to get done can get done and when it's just not the right time, when it's a different time. So another big factor is having the right help. So my spouse, my husband is really supportive and we have always had a very shared approach to things. So, you know, just practically like who, you know, I make the meal plan and he goes to the grocery store, little things like that help. And then another big one is just it being in community with other parents who are in a similar season, whether that's professionally or with your kids, because you just, you need wisdom from other people. Okay. I want to make sure we'll probably go back to that and dig in a little deeper, but I want to paint the picture of your business because I feel like we're talking around your business and about all the things you're doing and how amazing you are, but you've accomplished so much in your business already, a relatively young copywriting business. Can you just brag a little bit about what you've built, what it looks like today, given that you have a 15 month old and you know two other kids and you left teaching not too long ago? What does it look like? Yeah. Um, it looks like, I mean, the biggest win for me is that, you know, this is my third year in business and I feel like I'm really at this place. And, and obviously, I mean, we've talked about the think tank and particularly the think tank retreat really helped me get there. I think for me, my biggest win right now is the clarity I have around who I am and what I do, even if it's not as niche as some other um, copywriters are. Um, so there's the clarity piece and that has come from the work we've done in the think tank and also the 
financial and sort of obvious wins really do build that confidence to have that clarity. So I had, I think um, my first 10K month was while I was still teaching and just hitting that was a very, it was a huge confidence booster just to see, oh my gosh, this is possible. Like this is actually possible to make this a career, not just a side hustle. And then this last year, I remember when we first met to talk through what our goals were for the year. I didn't even say the actual goal that I wanted because I I just, that felt, I don't know, maybe I just silly. It felt silly to say I actually wanted to make that. And then last November, I remember I was like, oh my gosh, I am like, I am really close to hitting six figures. And we were on a call. I was saying, I really want to, I really want a slow season in December, but also inside I'm a hustler and I want to do this because I feel like it's within reach. And you were like, okay, you can do it. And you were right. And within just kind of telling the right people, which is another big win, I think for my business is just the community that I've built that is leveraging the community I had before I was a copywriter and weeping that into now it makes looking forward to, you know, obviously I don't have the entire 2023 booked out, but I feel confident with the network I've built. So hitting six six figures last year was a big win um, and just seeing what else I could do and just freeing me up to be more creative with other things um, besides just one-on-one client work, which I still love doing, but wanting to be able to tap into other aspects of myself that I feel like are just kind of waiting. Okay, so while we're talking about hitting that six figures, I'm curious, you know, comparing it to what you were doing before with teaching, are you working about the same number of hours? And so you've, I'm guessing it's pretty close to doubled your income. I don't know exactly what you were making as a teacher, but um, is it close to the same hours? Is it less hours? Is it more hours? How has that all broken out in your business? Yeah, that is probably the biggest, that was like my biggest dream was to work significantly less because when I left, I was working 80%, um, but for the most of my majority of my career, I was you know 100% full-time, which is at least 50 hours a week if you're going to do a decent job. You have to work way over contract hours to be a good teacher, which is the reality. And so what I wanted, um, I wanted more autonomy over my time, and that has happened. So again, just the season I'm in, that has kind of dictated it. So I'm I'm really working between 20 to 30 hours a week, but it's usually closer to 20. I have 20 hours worth of child care, and then I fit other little things in. So that is the um, that was a huge win for me that I've been able to stick to that. And I, sometimes I don't know how I do it, but it's when you only have that time, you just make it happen. So, so yeah, so the math on that is half the time and yes. almost double the salary, which yeah. is pretty amazing. Well, to someone listening who's like, okay, how, really, how did you do that? Because that sounds miraculous. Can you break down some of the things you've done that has helped you? You mentioned community network. You have a strong community. But what else have you done over the last year or two that's helped? Yeah, I said yes before I felt fully confident. Um, and that was whether I was uh, saying yes to projects or you know putting myself out there in terms of you know, bigger projects that was obviously saying yes to the think tank. I mean, I told you guys, I was nine months pregnant when I said, Rob, can I join the think tank next year? Because my business was headed in the right direction. And then I was essentially closing it down for a few months. But I, and I knew that this being my third child, I knew 
what I would need in this season and that I can't do it all. Like I can't also develop my own business strategy and do great work. I needed other, you know, experienced people to help me with that side. So I think number one was knowing what I needed. I knew I needed that guidance. Um, And then I had been listening to you guys since 2019 when I was commuting to work and figuring out what a copywriter was. Um, So that was sort of a no-brainer for me, you know, joining the think tank. And obviously I had the encouragement of of people who came before me, um, the good work they had done. But so in terms of like what has really helped the last couple of years, it's identifying what I needed help in most. Um, and then I got that. I'm not a course junkie, so I I am pretty intentional with that because I I'm actually don't know why. I'm just I'm like I'm not going to waste time on something. <laughs> so what I knew it wasn't courses. I knew I needed the community. I knew that that's what both I wanted and is what I'm good at is connecting with people. And so yeah, taking advantage of the community that you guys have created in the think tank has been huge. And I mean honestly, I mean I wish. I wish there were five more in-person retreats for the think tank because that was a huge, um, I mean, that was only two months ago and I'm still feeling huge impacts from that. So that was, that has moved the needle a lot for me um, to feel a little bit more like I have a grown up business, even though it's three years old, I, I feel so much more confident, even when I know things are not all figured out. I just, I want to jump in and ask about the retreat because um, I know it did help you. And can you just speak to like what happens at a retreat for anyone who's not familiar? And it's just like, well, what actually happens? How does that help your business grow? Yeah. Well, I think we're still in the like coming out of pandemic era where like group interactions still feel a little bit vulnerable um, because we just aren't, at least with strangers, people we only know on the internet. So I think that level of vulnerability and having everybody say yes to that just creates a setting for really great work because everyone is putting themselves out there saying, I want to learn and grow and this is uncomfortable. So that's that kind of lays the groundwork. Obviously, for our situation, we had worked with the we had relationships going into it. So that was a huge win was knowing that we were going to connect with people there. But when you know that you're in a group of people and everyone's there to, you know, feeling a little bit nervous, have big questions around what is going to come out of this. It's a very encouraging environment to test things out. So one example is we did the hot seat, which you offer hot seats every month. And I've done them before. I did not go in thinking I needed one, but you were offering it. And I was like, I flew halfway across the country, left my children. I should find something that these experts can help me with. That would be a, a smart choice. So I even like tried to get out of it. And you're like, well, we have the time. And it is, I think just that for, for me, not having a big plan of what I wanted to get out of that retreat was probably the the best choice because then I just let the like the genius of everybody else and the things that they were sharing just sort of like bring out um, very organically what I needed to work on. And the hot seat really kind of set the tone for the growth that I needed in particular that weekend. And so, yeah, people asking hard questions and you having to answer them on the spot is, it's a good method. And you, you also presented at that retreat on a topic that I found really uh, insightful and idea provoking 
for for me at least and i think it was for everyone else there tell us a little bit about that as well you don't necessarily have to give the whole talk but just you know, the kernel for what you shared and some of the ways that you approach your business when it comes to expertise and uh, showing up as a a thought or an idea person yes and this kind of goes back to you know one of the reasons i chose a think tank was because i didn't I also didn't know exactly what I want. I didn't know that I wanted to launch a podcast, didn't know I wanted to do, you know, sell a product. I wanted the freedom to figure it out. And so even just Kira, you know, inviting me to speak was exciting because that didn't, that wasn't something I knew I wanted to pursue. And so that's a new idea that I am, you know, adding to my repertoire of what I want to do for me and my business. But the idea of a thought partner really is the, you know, being a collaborator with your client. You know, when we think about working one-on-one, sometimes it can be really just like, I do this project and it's done, we move forward. But because of my background of working with students and families long-term, I love the sort of like life cycle of the a relationship with the people you're working with. And I have seen the benefits just on personal levels with, you know, students and families and what we could do in my previous career, you know, not just viewing my role as siloed from the parent. And so, you know, using that kind of that same example with clients, it's not just my work that I'm doing for their work. It's our work that we're doing together. And they, when you see people like that, when you see business owners for all that they're offering, their wisdom, their experience, who they are as a human being, I mean, I think that's what they really want. I think they just like, especially when you're working with solo entrepreneurs, which are typically my bread and butter, they just want to be seen for who they are and validated that their idea is good, that they are unique. And when you, I mean, our work, when even just when they're filling up the, you know, the onboarding questionnaire, <laughs> oftentimes they're like, that was so emotional for me. And it's really vulnerable to put put yourself out there and say, you know, all these things about my business and here's how I, what I need to work on. And so when you are on that other side and viewing yourself as a partner in this big idea that they're trying to bring forth, it goes a long way. And so, and not just like what I, you know, mentioned in on the retreat was that it's not just like for the heart. It's also proven to be really helpful for retaining clients, for getting new clients, for having clients come back to me. And so that thought partner approach is both, I think, a a wise approach in working with clients and what they need and then also practically for my business. Can you give some specific examples of how I can apply that? So I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Clearly this is working for Corey. How can I be a thought partner to my current clients so that I can retain them because I'm losing my clients? Yeah. So, I mean, on a practical level throughout the conversation, I, you know, I don't limit myself just to web copy or just email or just brand voice guides. I kind of see what, what they need. And so throughout the time I mention, like when I see a gap that I could fill, I mention it just softly so that it's not just at the end or it doesn't just feel like a pitch. It's sort of like woven through. So that helps um, because they know what else I can do when I see an opportunity for them to be encouraged, which sounds really simple, but I I do think with that vulnerability piece, when we're working with clients, um, when I see an opportunity to encourage them, I take it because even if it feels a little bit, I guess, like fluffy, (laughs) I take it because I think people need to be encouraged. I think every 
human being needs to be encouraged in what they're doing. And so I find a way to thoughtfully do it and not in a way that feels trite. Like it feels very specific to them. So I find ways to weave in how I can help them, practically speaking. And then I find ways to weave in how I can encourage them. And um, that comes through with the offboarding and um, as well, you know, obviously the survey, the, you know, the offboarding survey, but just in encouraging them as they move on to the next phase of their business. All right, Rob, why don't you start? What did you take away from this part of the conversation? What stood out to me first when is is when Corey started talking about wanting to do something less emotionally taxing. And the discussion around being an educational leader and what are the opportunities for somebody who's an educational leader? Because I think I look at us as copywriters, as teachers, as educational leaders, as helping people learn about new products that can help them or services that can, you know, help change their lives. And so, you know, listening to her talk about that really stood out. And then you, Kira, asked about the calling versus the job. And I, I think there's a really interesting discussion here, not just with Corey, but just out in the world. You know, some of us do feel like copywriting is a calling. For others of us, it is a means to make the thing that is our calling, you know, maybe it's family or maybe it's, uh, you know, some other kind of mission that somebody has in their life. Um, but it, it becomes the means to support that. And it's okay to do both. You know, both, both approaches are great and copywriting as a vocation works to do both. Yeah, I think that's the first time we've talked about those two and the pull between the calling where you feel like you want to help others and then pursuing the thing you desire. And like you said, either one could be copywriting. For for Corey, what she desired was to be a copywriter. Um, I mean, I think that struggle is very much real. And I think especially as as writers who tend to be more, have more empathy and, and feel more sensitive to other people's needs, I think oftentimes we are pulled in to careers like teaching, um, to uh, becoming therapists, so many nurturing professions. And so that's something I think is just worth keeping in mind as I wrestle with those same feelings and those same pulls and just keeping it in front of mind as far as like, is this your true calling? And when she said, if you're if you're sacrificing your well-being, then it's not a true calling. <laughs> the sa- that sacrifice should not be part of the grind every day. And so that helps separate it for me too. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine a few people who might see their calling as, you know, helping others and they're really putting a lot into, you know, of themselves. They really are sacrificing their time, their money, their energy or whatever. Uh, but not always a good idea to do it to the point where you're completely depleted. And, you know, because in order to make your, you know, to continue with your mission, to keep doing it, you've also got to be able to take care of yourself. Yeah. And we also talked about, um, Corey's feeling around changing her career. And she mentioned she felt, it felt like it was self-indulgent to change her career because it was already established and stable. And she has, you know, a family that she is taking care of financially. And so I think that's common, that feeling. Um, And I think that self-indulgent feeling can also pop up when you aren't necessarily changing careers, but you might just be pivoting in your business. And it's like, oh, who am I to create this new product? Or it feels self-indulgent to change my business because this has been working. So why am I creating something new that might possibly not work? And so I think it's important to kind of 
recognize when it feels self-indulgent and take Corey's steps to work through it. She actually worked through it by looking at all the options before diving into becoming a copywriter. She talked to you know colleagues to find out what other options she had. She talked to copywriters. So she did all her research and then she worked her way into really owning the idea of I'm going to be a copywriter so she could feel confident before bringing everyone else into the fold, you know, bringing her family and getting them on board so that it felt like it was the right step forward rather than feeling self-indulgent. Yeah, I think that idea, that self-indulgence is something that keeps a lot of us stuck in doing something that we don't love because we f- it's like, yeah, this thing is working. It is providing for my family and it's selfish of me to want to change that with uh, you know something that might fail or might not produce as well. Of course, it might produce far better. And so, you know, there's often upside there but it keeps us stuck. And you know anything that keeps us stuck is probably not serving us well. It's fine to stay where you are if that decision is intentional. But if you are staying where you are because you feel stuck, then you know maybe there's, maybe there's some mindset work to be done there. Yeah. And it's also most of it is not self-indulgent. It's just like, that's how we speak about it in, in our culture, but it's actually not. Um, okay. So what else stood out to you? We talked a little bit about time management, but what was interesting is we didn't talk about calendars or scheduling or anything. We basically just said time management, it's all really about focusing on priorities. And my thoughts around time management have changed quite a bit over my career. I actually started out my very first writing job writing for a time management company uh, and you know selling products, you know, calendars and day planners and that kind of stuff. And even then, you know, in order to focus on the things that you want to do most. You've got to make sure that you schedule it into the book and it, you know, and all of that. And uh, I think taking a step back from all of that and just saying, okay, let's just focus on the priorities here. It's yeah, it does help to get those things in a calendar, but the basics of time management, making sure that the right things get done first is all about what is most important and how do I get that done. And prioritizing revenue generating activities, especially for copywriters, many of the ones we talk to regularly, it's like sometimes uh, we're identifying the wrong priorities or it's like it's constantly focused on client delivery, which is important. But then we, you know, we feel frustrated when we don't have new clients on board and a business isn't growing. So for me, it's always like, how do we get focused on revenue? Because if that doesn't happen, you don't have a business anymore. Yeah. And finally, in this section, at least for me, um, we talked a little bit about the retreat. We got together and like how much it helped Corey being there in the room. You and I have talked about this many, many times. And it's just, it's so hard to express to somebody who hasn't had this kind of an experience. You know, it's why you and I belong to Masterminds ourselves. It's why we created the Think Tank, because getting in the room together makes a massive difference in not just it's not just the relationship. It's there's some it's almost like there's, you know, magic in the air and you start to look at your business from a different perspective and you see what other people are doing. You say, "Wait a second. If somebody else can, you know, make that kind of money or create that kind of a product for their niche or, you know, operate in this way or use this system, like it just changes the level of thinking." And you heard Corey talking about how that worked for her business. Even months later, she's still buzzing about that retreat. And you mentioned the upcoming retreats. We have one virtual in June and one in London that we're going to be having. And it's the same, same energy. Yeah. And I, I mean, this is going to sound like a promo for the think tank, but whatever that's, we're here to promote the think tank because it's amazing. Um, But I would recommend 
if you want to be a part of a community where you are attending retreats, whether it is Think Tank or another community, um, I think it's really important to show up at multiple retreats over a set period of time with the same people and even just like the same group leaders and the same members. Because I think what happens for the two of us, Rob, and being a part of a group over you know, two to three years so far with, for the group that we're in, I get more out of it now because I'm getting to know the people in the room with us. And I really want to show up in a bigger way because I want I, – they're holding me accountable in a, a more powerful way than they could if I met them for the first time at one retreat and then I were to never see them again. So I think there are different types of retreats. There are ones that you could attend one off and you can get a lot out of them. But if you're looking for a retreat that you can kind of be a part of and a community could be a part of long term, that's where I get the most out of it because I know from the retreat you and I attended in Orlando in, gosh, was that February? Um you and I left and we like, we were focused and not just focused. We didn't lose esteem. Like we got a lot done since then, launched the new podcast, created a new product, changed our entire team and the systems we're using. And I think for me, at least that, that energy came from that, that specific retreat. Yeah. I, th- I think it, a lot of it does. You make a really good point about the long termness of those relationships because yeah, you know, there, there's sometimes a tendency to dip in and out of these kinds of groups. And you're right. For some reason, the last two of the retreats we've gone to with our mastermind, the one that we belong to, have been uh, better for me simply because the relations that we have over two or three years have been able to develop. We're friends with those other business leaders. They're more likely and willing to open up about what they're building because they know us, they've gotten to know us and we know them and have gotten to know them. So you're right. That long-termness matters. Uh, Maybe not for everybody, but for us in particular, for me in particular, uh, being in the same room as those kinds of leaders that I want to be around, that I want to be like, that are building businesses that are bigger than mine, Long, taking a couple of years to do it has made all the difference. Yeah. And I pulled that idea, from, I mean, from Ray Edwards. I saw him not too long ago post on social media and he it was like lessons I wish I had known, you know, years ago. And one of them that stood out to me was about that. He was like, I should just join one mastermind and stay, stick with it for 10 years, which, you know, we're, you and I are not talking about 10 years, but I was like, huh, there's, there's definitely an idea there about going really deep long-term that I think we're missing in our kind of fast-paced online space that we're in. So I think we talked about that enough. One other idea that I would like to talk about is how Corey encourages her clients. And it's such um, kind of a fun concept that some people may naturally do. I don't think that – anyway, I don't know if I do that naturally, but it's such a great idea around supporting them and like giving them praise because – Yes, your clients are paying you, but they also feel really vulnerable and awkward, depending on what how they're working with you. But with a lot of the services we offer, you know, you're you're pushing them out of their comfort zone. They want you to do that, but it's also like it feels they might feel anxious or self conscious, maybe uncomfortable. And so, encouraging them will help them get more out of the experience. It probably will help you be a better service provider because you can deliver a better result. And it probably is what helps Corey maintain her relationships and her clients long term. Um, 
And I think that's a key that it feels kind of fuzzy and warm and fun, but I think there's something to it that uh, I'm going to pay more attention to moving forward. I know I said with my last comment, that was the last thing I was going to mention, but I'm going to mention one more because we did mention it in the introduction. And that is Corey talked about showing up as a thought partner, uh, which is kind of an interesting idea, not a thought leader necessarily, but as a thought partner, uh, which reframes the way that we work with our clients. Um, You know, when you show up as a thought partner, you're not necessarily taking orders, whatever. You're actually sharing strategy and ideas and things that your client can use to grow their own authority, their own business. You're asking questions about the business and not necessarily the product or the service that you're selling. And you're really getting to be literally a partner in their business to help them grow. It's something that more of us need to be doing as copywriters, especially as things like AI start to eat at the bottom level of what we deliver and you know make it easier to write. We need to be showing up with strategy, with ideas, with things that at least right now, ChatGPT simply can't do. Yeah, at least right now. <laughs> All right, let's get back to our interview with Corey to find out how she structured her, her business and the types of clients she enjoys working with. Okay, I wanna go back again to talking about more in your business. Tell us a little bit about how you landed on who you serve and the exact kinds of products that you created to help them. So really talking about what is the work that you're doing in your business and for whom. Yeah. So. I right now I'm landing on I help people driven companies and really that just means they have a big idea that they really want to do they want to do something with that's bigger than just doing that service. So one example is a boudoir photographer. So yes, you know, there's lots of photographers out there. She's a boudoir photographer, very specific niche, and she um really has um a passion for the self-empowerment side of it. So that's a perfect example of yes, I can write a sales page for this photographer and this course that she's selling, but she knows that there's so much more that she's offering besides the actual course. And so those are the types of people that I tend to work with. They're very, uh, very driven and on the actual product that can help. So whether it's selling a course or building a new website for, you know, launching a new company, there's that like immediate goal, but that there's always the bigger why. And I'm usually aligned with that or can help bring them out. And I think that's often what they, what sells them is my ability to jump on board with their mission. Um, I'm hesitant to say mission driven companies because that tends to be, it tends to sound like nonprofit, but they are very mission oriented. The companies I, I work for, um, they have their big idea in mind and it's bigger than just growing their business revenue. So so yeah, and so I serve them website. Typically, it's website copy. That's what they come for. And then we add in brand voice guides, or sometimes it starts with brand voice guides, and then add in website copy, and then the email sequences that follow. I've done quizzes before, and it really just kind of depends on what it is. But typically, it's website copy, brand voice guides, and then email sequences that go with that. And how do you how do you price those projects? And maybe tell us like how that has evolved since you started your business too. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's, I think it needs to be super clear that, um, when you first start out, I mean, I know there's different schools of thought, but I have no problem that I, that I charge what, like $40 a blog. My first website, it was like $1,500 for me to write all the copy and design it. I don't know what that, that took way too long. So 
definitely a far cry from there. I'm just writing copy, not also designing. Um, so the last uh, website copy package was um, that I sold was 4500 which is my new rate for that package, which felt like a big jump because unless I'm working on a larger website copy project, they're typically at the like 3000 range. But then just by the really digging into how much time I spend on the customer interviews and what I add to that. Yeah. And I've gotten better at, at packaging how I offer that and, and what, what that includes. So the website copies, 4,500 brand voice guides range from 2,800 to 3,500 right now and depends on what we add to it. So if it becomes more like a brand voice and messaging guide, the, let's see where I'm at. I think the most, I the biggest one I've sold is 3,500. So that's about where I'm at. So I just kind of made the decision. I'm not going to sell anything under $2,500 unless it's a day rate, because at this point with all the moving pieces, it's just not worth, worth my time. And I have enough client workload. And another big aspect for me is I have retainers. I have a pretty, I have three solid retainers and um, that allows me to take on the, it allows me to curate the projects I say yes to a little bit more, which is a huge bonus as opposed to just saying yes to everything, which I spent a lot of time doing, to be clear. (laughs) Yeah. I'm wondering if you just answered part of my next question, but I mean, I'm just thinking about kind of these weird times we're in where copywriters, many of them are losing clients, retainer clients, startups, left and right. And it's, it's just a difficult time for many copywriters. And so you have stayed busy. You know, your rosters stay full. There are many things you're doing right, which is why we're talking to you. You've already mentioned the thought partner, you know, that type of collaboration and that's helped you retain clients long-term, but I'm wondering what else you're doing that other copywriters could follow other tips action steps you're taking that other copywriters could also follow just so that they can book more clients during this difficult time. Yes, I 100% hear that. And honestly, that was one of kind of in January when I saw what was happening to my leads, you know, and just, you know, projects not closing. It's kind of why I said yes to a couple more retainers at last this time last year, I was like, oh my gosh, I want less retainers. I don't want that ongoing, but I kind of saw the writing on the wall obviously with our economy. And then just again, the season I'm in, I wanted that financial stability. And so even though at one point I said, I'm not going to do blogs anymore, to me, this opportunity to take on a couple more project, a retainer project that had more blogs was worth it because it was going to allow me the creativity to do other projects. So my, for me, what has worked the most is leveraging the, the network and community I already have. So I'm not pitching. I'm not cold pitching. I'm reaching out to existing or past clients. And so, and that could just be a check-in. It could, um, I haven't formally pitched to a previous client, but just keeping in contact and looking at that, those lead sources. So I'm staying in contact with previous clients and then staying top of mind with, with them. So that has been like, if I were to tell somebody else who's starting out a career or feeling like their pipeline is not full, you look at the people who already love you and ask them. I mean, we just need to be reminded. I am, I need to be reminded about almost everything in my life, like five times. So (laughs) maybe somebody just needs help and they need someone to remind them that they can help them. So you never know who has a new idea for something they want to launch this season 
And so I would absolutely just send an email reconnecting, you know, checking in, see how they're doing, how that last project that you worked on is going. And if you can help, I, to me, I mean, you have to capitalize on your strengths and to me and, and, and the time you have. So for me, it was, I already have this deep bench of people that I am connected with. And so I'm going to connect with them and see if we can find something that is aligned. And so like with the, you know, the retainer client that I said yes to in January, we have a six month contract and it's a, my biggest retainer. We had worked together before. And so I knew exactly what it would be like working with them and just kind of reconnected on where they were at with something. And she followed up with an ask. Um, and then we worked out the details. So, so as you think about, you know, your business in the months, you know, in the future, obviously you've got a couple of retainers, so, you know, you're not worried about filling every single hour, but what are the things that you're doing, Corey, to make sure that you are top of mind or that people can find you when they start looking, where do you go to do all of that marketing for yourself? Yes. So this is a big stressor. I was like, okay, I need to figure out where I, my, like what my marketing plan is. I should go on LinkedIn because people pay more there. And I always felt so uncomfortable on LinkedIn. And which by the way, if you're a teacher listening to this, like start your LinkedIn account now. I don't know what happened to this, to our profession, but like teachers did not join LinkedIn. And so (laughs) we look like we don't know anybody. We have no background, which is unfortunate. So I finally just landed on, like, again, the season I'm in. I don't have a lot of extra time to create new content. And so most of my lead sources are on Instagram, and that felt like the easiest. And so the leads that I typically get and that I am connected with, so, like, my the lead sources, so, like, the people I've worked with that send me work, they're on Instagram. That's already where I am naturally, and so I've just stayed there. I also – I have a very tiny email list, but the right people are on it, and so – it stays top of mind with those right people who want me for another day rate or um, which is another, I would say if like practically speaking, if you're looking for a quick way to get a new project on your, in your pipeline, the day rate for me has been a great way to, it's a lower risk offer for a client who's um, budget conscious, um, but you can also really win them over um, for more work. And so I've never had one day rate that was just one day rate. It's always turned into more in some capacity, whether it's a full project or retainer or just more day rates. So yeah. So uh, currently it's my tiny email list and um, being on my, my tiny Instagram account, but connected to the right people. Can you sell us or like teach us how to sell your retainer package and then even your day rate? I mean, I, I just feel like I don't want to skip over that because you're selling a six month contract at a decent price point. And then you're selling these day rates, multiple ones of them. I feel like that's just not easy for everyone. So what is that script or what are those points that you hit on that we can snag? Yeah. So understanding what they need first. So both, let's see, all three of my retainers started out with some other project beforehand. So it wasn't just like I walked in the door and then I started working for them on, you know, for a three to six month basis. So it's understanding what their need is and understanding what their team needs. So not just like the actual asset that I can deliver, but what what I can provide, what I know I provided to them in the web copy project or or the day rate. And then, so in this case, it was just asking the right question um, and about 
their strategy for something. So instead of asking, do you need this? It was, how are you going to handle this? What's your strategy for this? And in this case, it was an email. So the current retainer is an email and email strategy and blog package. So it's asking the question that I knew probably needed help. And it wasn't just the, what do you need done? But how can I position myself as a strategist? Because in addition to people needing to be encouraged, they just need somebody else to kind of like help them with that, with that brain space. They want, they want someone else to think for them and about their business the way they, they do. And when you can show them that you are, that you're ahead of them and what they need, they're like, oh gosh, yes, please do that thinking for me. And so that has proved to be helpful. Every time I try to like get rid of a retainer, they're like, oh, but wait, can we, <laughs> can we change the model? which is great. And so that has helped me to even like hear what they actually need is not, I mean, maybe a retainer is not working out for you. I would not pull the plug if maybe there's another way that it would be beneficial for you and them, you know, have it a win-win. And then in terms of day rates, it's usually kind of started at like maybe the price point for a full website copy package is too high or the timing doesn't work out. I'm booked out. I can't take on another project this month. And so I use the exclusivity of this is the only time I have and the price point of it's, you know, half the price and you don't get everything, but you get this. And so typically my day rates are three pages of website copy or an email sequence, something that I clearly know that I can do, but some are with people I trust. And it's like, we, I want to write a book proposal or I want to brainstorm this, I want to come up with a course. And so once you have that trust, it's really fun because you're just using your creative energy with theirs. Yeah. Well, I, so let, I want to take that conversation like to the next step. So you're talking to somebody, you know, about, let's say the, the email sequence. And so you, you're asking that question. So how are you going to handle the writing of, or how are you going to handle the production, whatever? And they say, I don't know, I'm, I'm, or I haven't worked that out yet, or, you know, something like that. What's your answer then so that you, I mean, I know you're, you're starting to do that strategic thinking, but how does that show up in that conversation? Yeah. So if they, if I ask a question, you know, who's going to manage the list, you know, what are the, you know, what are your benchmarks? So then I ask if they answer, well, we don't have this. Then I ask the questions that are specific to what I would do on that project. So the things I would ask are, what is your current list engagement like? what type of sequences do you need? And just helping them and then also helping them map that out. Them seeing a visual for it is has been really huge. I think especially when business owners are in the launch world, there's just so much. Like, And if you haven't launched before, you don't know what you don't know until you're in it and you just want to quit. <laughs> so helping them see, anticipate that and then showing that you can map that out. So I think so you give them an actual map. You draw it out for them using a tool and provide that, or, or you're talking through it. Not in, not until I'm paid to do it. So I will offer that as a part. So like with this one, I said I knew what they, I knew where their gaps were. Asked some specific questions about who is going to manage the list, and then she asked if I would be open to ongoing work. And I wanted to make sure that I'm not just jumping on board just to write things that people that just kind of sits there and doesn't get managed. I want my copy to work. And so even that, that statement was really empowering um, or exciting to them to be like, okay, like they really want all this money I'm putting into my business to really 
bring in a profit. And so they like caring, not just about the words, but the profitability of their company, I think in that particular case was, was helpful. And then I asked the specific questions about what else they have to manage it because I didn't want to be the one in the, in the email service provider. So before I said yes to that, I wanted to make sure there was somebody who was doing that and then I could manage, you know, the analytics and then making decisions um, from there. And so then I said, I can um, build up this, this um, map so that we're tracking all the different sequences and not just randomly creating an email funnel because somebody said we need to have, you know, an, an abandoned cart sequence. So being that, that holder of um, what we need and why we need it. Yeah, I think this is a good reminder of why you're such a great thought partner and that whole going back to that whole concept that you are not just taking orders on these one-off projects from your clients. You are creating these strategies they can implement and thinking about the big picture, which plugs you in for, you know, six months or more into multiple projects. So it's smart from such a from a business sense too that you can be that partner and their long term. Yeah, and I definitely was an order taker for a long time. I mean, I I mean it's easy to do. I do think you like being the order taker helped me build the confidence to know how to anticipate what they needed. And so I couldn't have been I wasn't this confident in what I could deliver on strategy-wise until I learned how. I want to circle back to what we were talking about earlier just related to juggling and parenting and all those things. Um how do you practice patience with yourself, knowing that you are an idea person? We've talked about many of your ideas and, you know, more than half of them have to go on the back burner. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to slow down. It's hard when you have those thoughts to just slow down and know that you can't do everything. I get frustrated with myself all the time that I can't move as quickly as I'd like. It's just not possible. So how, I guess, how do you practice that on a daily basis without pulling your hair out all the time? this is a work in progress, <laughs> but I do feel like I'm getting better. And I do think part of it is the getting for me personally, you know, because I am a parent and I have a financial responsibility to my children, getting that in order, which I think is, there's a little bit of, of that that's just sort of very practical. Like I need to get the finances in order because then if I don't, I'm never going to, that impatience with my big ideas are going to feel more than just creative energy that's being bogged down. It's going to feel like there, there are higher stakes. So getting the finances in order has helped me make sure I'm not stressing out of scarcity mindset. And so then I'm like, okay, these are ideas and I just need to trust the system. I think part of it is looking back and seeing the wins that like, okay, I have done this and I can do this and having that boost of encouragement and then having a place for those ideas because they will be used at some point. So, I mean, I knew I knew that at some point I was going to be in a think tank. But back in 2019, I was like, this is a joke. I can pay that much a month to be in a group? Like, <laughs> that's insane. But I, in my heart, like, I knew that was going to happen. I just had to wait a few years. And so I journal a lot. So those ideas go there. That feels safe. But if I have an idea, I have a very, very simple notes CAD folders on my phone because it easily um, updates on my computer um, for ideas. And I have business ideas. I have writing ideas. I have social content ideas. And I and I use them because it's, if they just sit in my head, then it, I think it, it exacerbates the impatience 
because it has no place to go. Um, so if I have a place for it to go, that helps. And then, I mean, being in a community of people who are also having to go slower than they think because it's easy to hop onto Instagram and see everybody doing the thing. You just see the results of, of their patients. Um, whereas like what we have in, this is why I keep staying in the think tank is because you have people who are figuring out that messy middle and when to take the next step and when to kind of hit pause because their kids are home from daycare all week. I don't know. So have a place for them to go because they're not bad ideas. They just may not be their best one for right now and not being afraid to talk about them. And maybe, maybe my friends are annoyed by that, but I am like, I'm not afraid of really big outlandish ideas. Like I'm not afraid of just like saying it. This sounds, this sounds a little bit crazy and impossible. And maybe I'm way too optimistic, but I, I'm like, why not? Like, (laughs) why not say it, say it and then figure it out later. I love that you said that the idea of joining the think tank back, you know, three years ago was insane. You know, when you look at the price point or whatever, clearly it's been worth it as you've talked about your business. Here's another insane thing going on. AI, everybody's talking about AI. We've launched AI for Creators podcast. I'm curious, have you started playing with AI in your business and how are you using it if you have? Yes, I am. And I would not have tried it if it weren't for um, seeing you and Brittany and Lene talk about it at the Think Tank retreat. And I was like, oh, dang, clearly I need to jump on this. So yes, I mean, I'm a very, as I think I've mentioned, being practical like five times today. So I anything that can practically help me is a win. And so once I saw that, I was like very, very into it. And so, I mean, there's a lot of like, bigger um, philosophical topics or, or discussions around AI. And I don't have the time for that. Um, I'm say, I'm letting other people who are smarter than me uh, dive into that or, you know, have Kira talk, talk about that on the podcast. But so I've just really practically, especially in the research side, like I've used chat GPT a lot to help me expedite my process. And even if it's just literally like it's like as if I had somebody sitting next to me, I can ask my sort of obvious question too. And I just need to say it so I'm not staring at a blinking cursor. I have a place for it to go. And then you have a process. And then, you know, obviously the Sam Woods training was really helpful. But I have liked being able to test out AI prompts. I mean, that has been like really exciting to think, oh, there's a way to do this smarter so that I my time is maximized. Like, the same way my nanny helps me uh, by chopping vegetables um, before I get home from work. So then I can just go make the soup and be with my kids. Like AI helps me like chop the vegetables with the work I'm doing and then maximize my energy on the stuff that I'm the best at or that I should be spending my time on. Because I mean, the research phase of any project is important and also can be a major time suck, which I am very guilty of. So it helps me get a wrangle on my time and how I'm spending it. So yeah, that's a little bit of how I used it. Just seeing other people's prompts that have been helpful. And then that Sam Woods training being a lot more strategic with how I'm using ChatGPT has been very practical in getting projects done quicker. Think Tank, which you've plugged for us many times in this conversation, so thank you. But we do have a channel for AI prompts, and that's where you've shared so many prompts. And I think that's, you know, whether it's in Think Tank or other communities, you know, you're in, it's important to have that place you can go to share 
share prompts. So you're not starting from scratch and that you have people you can trust and can build with. Uh, my last question as we wrap is for teachers who might be listening um, or maybe anyone who just wants to make a, a pivot or career change, what advice specifically would you give to those teachers listening who maybe don't feel the same level of love that they used to feel and are ready for a change? I would number one, validate that that's, it is totally okay. I mean, I definitely had a little bit of survivor's guilt leaving in 2021. I think that's very normal. You're not going to not have that, but what you want as a human being is valid. That's the end of the sentence. So honoring that and then just like creating space to explore what else it could be. I mean, obviously I'm a fan of copywriting, but not everybody could wants to do that. Some people might, might be great at, you know, designing websites or working in um, instructional design or, you know, there's so many different options that I would say like give yourself the freedom to explore. And um, what we did um, was we built up the, the safety net financially to be able to do that. So obviously when you leave teaching, you leave, that's one of the best perks is that you have a, you have a safety net, you know, exactly where your income is going to come for the next 10 years of your life and what your retirement is going to be. And so we needed to give ourselves some wiggle room. And so we created that. I'm a big believer in the side hustle. Not everybody does. Some people just like to move on, but that was, that worked really well for me was exploring testing as a side hustle and then creating the financial um, capacity to jump and take on the projects I wanted to. So honor that this is what you want to do, explore how to do it. Um, I love the side hustle approach. And there are people who want to hire teachers. I mean, I'm always looking for teachers to help me because I just, I know how they work. I know, I know their brains and it feels like I know how to pass on an assignment to them. And so, um, buddy up to somebody who, um, might be looking for contractors so you can test things out and be like exceptionally just work really hard, <laughs> work really hard. Um, because it always pays off to have that really strong work ethic and any job, like even if it's one like random blog assignment, you just go hard. Like it is a $5,000 web copy project. And, and you just never know, like there's, that's been what's really fun about this career is that there's so many different turns it could take. And you just literally never know where your next project is going to come from. And that doesn't have to be frightening. It can be really exciting because there's a new, there's something new around the corner as opposed to like, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Good words to end on. Corey, if somebody wants to connect with you, get on your email list, hang out, uh, LinkedIn or wherever, where should they go? Um, not LinkedIn. <laughs> go to my website. You can join my email list uh, or you can follow me on social media, but email list is the best way to like connect with me um, on a more consistent basis. And um, yeah. And then obviously Rob, shout out the podcast that someday I will do. It is going to happen and we'll be listening along as you talk about that. So it'll be fun. All right. Thank you, Corey. We are grateful for you being in the Think Tank. We love working with you in the Think Tank and thanks for doing this interview with us. Appreciate it. So fun. Thanks, you guys. That's the end of our interview with Corey Myers. Before we head out, let's touch on one or two more things that Corey talked about. So one thing, again, that stood out to me here, Kira, we talked a little bit about pricing and, you know, Corey talked about the evolution of pricing in her business. And it just got me thinking about prices for so many of the copywriters that we talked to. A lot of times we think that we have marketing problems when it comes to 
like how do we find enough clients to work with when the real issue is that we have a pricing problem we're pricing too low and that means we need more clients in order to hit whatever that monthly number is and if we price for the value that we're creating and there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into understanding how to have that conversation with your client and how to figure that stuff out we talk about that in the copywriter accelerator uh, and in parts in the copywriter underground as well but if you nail your prices, you know, you have those minimum prices, you're pricing for the value you create, it solves a ton of marketing problems as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I, I usually am the one saying, no, this is a marketing problem. Um, we also, when we talked about money, uh, she mentioned she doesn't sell anything for under 2500 And I think that's just a good benchmark. Everyone will have a different benchmark. I, I've had different numbers at different times, but just kind of knowing what that is for you can help you feel more confident on a sales call. Um, even if you don't have packages you can present, at least it's like, this is as low as I will go. Um, so that's important. And then I like the way that Corey talked about balancing her retainers, which provide that stability that's been really helpful for her, and then allows her to curate her projects. And she did mention curate, and that was just a word that stood out to me when I was re-listening, because I do think that's the power of retainers, or not even just retainers, creating new revenue streams that are more stable um, because then you can curate your projects. And so anytime we have an opportunity to curate, it's just going to be more enjoyable. You can um, be a little bit more strategic with your pricing. And so that's a good way to look at how to balance the different parts of your business too. Yeah, retainers and creating long-term relationships so that you know when a project ends, you don't need to go and find another client, but you're you know, it's like, what's the next thing I can help you with can be a game changer for a lot of copywriters. So many of us are, are project based and there are ways to do project based retainers for sure. We've talked about them on the podcast in the past many times, but yeah, that stability makes a ton of difference. And just having that predictability about what is the, the income going to be next month and the month after that. And sometimes those retainers end and it, you know, you've got to replace those clients. But even if it lasts for three or four months, that's three or four months of not having to find a client to replace this particular client. Yeah. And then my final note is just, you know, Corey has built an incredible business from what, from what you've heard. I think you'd agree. And she's been able to do it from her inner, from her, I don't know if I call it her inner circle, but her network from past clients, from colleagues, from friends, friends of friends. Um, and, you know, she she really values her network and she will go back to past clients to book more projects. She's not necessarily at this stage focused on, you know, building this huge list and showing up on all the social media channels. She's working with what she's already got and the people who already trust her and love her. And so, and we've all got that. So I think she's just a really great example of someone who can, who's building from what they've already built in a previous career and it's working. Yeah. Corey also talked about practicing patience with yourself as you're going through this process. And there are two competing ideas here. You know, there's one idea which I 100% well, I agree with both really. Um, don't get ahead of yourself. Be patient with yourself and where you are, but also don't hold yourself back. You're probably farther along than you think, and you probably are ready to take the next step. And oftentimes we get really comfortable or conservative in our thinking, and we're not you know, we think we need something else in order to take that step forward. And as Corey was talking about her decision to join the think tank, uh, you know, 
early on before she knew she could afford it. And even later, it's like, hey, I'm about to have a baby, probably not the best timing, but I'm going to do it anyway, because she, you know, didn't want to hold herself back. So yes, absolutely. Practice patience with yourself. Don't get ahead of where you are, but also don't get stuck when you're, when you're in that place. Yeah. And we've had lots of babies, lots of babies born during Think Tank memberships. We want to thank Corey for joining us on the podcast to talk about her business and the steps that she's taken to get to each phase in her business, and especially about her ideas around thought partnership. If you want to connect with Corey, you can find her at coreymyers.com, which we'll link to in the show notes, or Corey Myers on Instagram. She's there quite a bit. And before we go, we did get another five-star review this past week, which makes us both very excited. Rob and I exchange emails. <laughs> so we don't know who this is, but if this is from you, thank you. Ohio Girl 97 um, And she said, this is the best copywriter podcast out there. Thank you. The podcast introduced me to a community of copywriters who are talented, inclusive, successful, and wildly supportive. More than anything, the TCC podcast made all the difference in my business. Love the energy, the advice, and the vibes. It's a must listen for copywriters. That's so nice. Thank you, Ohio Girl 97 um, I hope we figure out who you are. But even if we don't, we appreciate it, and we appreciate other reviews. So if you're listening and you got something out of this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the end of the episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice, and the outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club of money listen to the kira and robs copywriters club can make you lots of money as long as you listen through the whole damn episode